Good morning. It's not hard for me to understand that when a place of blessing has operated for 40 years, it's hard to do all the sharing within a certain framework of time. And uh, I think protracted meetings and protracted Bible school, the effects of the impact of the Word of God is a tremendous blessing. I was privileged to go to Bible school twice in my youth. And I was just thinking, I haven't even been here 48 hours since I walked in the door. And uh, these 40 couple hours have been such a tremendous blessing to me. It's really God has been speaking to my heart and blessing me. And I bless you for the atmosphere of love for Jesus and fidelity to the Word of God. And I know you're facing issues in Midwest, and we are in Cumberland Valley too. And I, I would just, uh, Daniel purposed in his heart. I would like to call us to purpose in our heart. We're going to do what it takes where the rubber hits the road. We heard that phrase these days. We're going to do what it takes where the rubber hits the road to stay faithful. We're going to do what it takes. Just one comment quick about Mexico. Been through Mexico a number of times. People was talking about that. Uh, it's worth your time regardless if there are officials who tell you that you don't need this, that, the other thing. It's well worth your time. may save you a few hundred dollars to get all the legal paperwork you possibly know about done. Believe you me. It may have kept me out of jail. I'm not sure. At least probably save me some money. If I would tell you those stories, I wouldn't get this message preached and you wouldn't get out of here on time. We're going to try to do it in a half an hour, okay? But Daniel purposed in his heart, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures. I hope you'll pardon that because we're going to try to get through this by 12:30. But if you would read the first eight verses of Daniel where it's introduced, you find that after he was chosen out of the young nobles that were brought from Jerusalem, he was put in a select group of people who were to be counselors, wise men of the king, and assigned this special food and drink that the king thought would get them bodily and mentally prepared. And the problem was that would call on Daniel to sacrifice something he felt was essential to his faith. And so he had to choose at that young age, was he going to compromise what he felt Jehovah wanted him to do and fall in good with his lot that he had or was he going to take a, was he going to take a stand and accept the consequences whatever they would be but remain true to Jehovah similar situations come to us regularly and i take for granted that all of us here that are adults in this room have cast our lot with Jesus Christ that already makes us exclusive. And I take for granted that we all believe that Jesus Christ is the only man, only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And that makes us really radical. There's a lot of people who would say that they believe in Jesus who wouldn't even want to say that. There are other good faiths too. I'd like to make a statement here. I wrote it down the way I wanted to say it. 
If we stand for nothing on the behalf of the honor of Jesus in our lifestyle, if we stand for nothing for the honor of Jesus in our lifestyle, we have the potential to fall for anything that dishonors him. I'm told that there are more than 20,000 religious persuasions, distinct different religious flavors in our world. I'm told that in the valley that I live in, the Cumberland Valley area, from take from Lancaster down through to Harrisonburg, Virginia, that over 100 years ago, let's we'll go back 125 years, there was basically one Mennonite church. They married and preached amongst the churches, and they were Mennonites. Today, in that little geographical area, not talking about all the other evangelical groups, but just Mennonites, there are 200 different flavors of Anabaptist in that little spectrum of area there. They, of course, would all say that they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was asking somebody what holds Midwest together, and they mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that. I understand Brother Glenn's message about the man and the uh, movement, and I fully endorse that. I was so blessed by that message. But, folks, not everyone that speaks of Jesus is saying the same thing. And I suspect that one of the things that holds Midwest together at this point are shared values. Even though there's a, there's a spectrum, but there are shared values as well as a shared Bible school. In fact, I think Brother Tim just basically said that the day comes you don't have shared values, you won't have the Bible school together. Uh, that that is that is a bond. Uh, many 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 of those twenty thousand groups would cast a vote for Jesus. But, uh, you know, over the last 100 years, 125 years that I mentioned, when we talk about the Mennonite church, and I would say I'm not ashamed of what the conservative Mennonite church stands for. I'm not sure I do care for the name. I'm not sure Men of Simons would have liked the name. Uh, but I know we need some sort of identity, so I just keep using it, and you do too. But... Uh, we are, I like to tell people I'm a Christian Mennonite. Uh, but, you know, whatever. Um, but the general Mennonite church, and I don't know what the percentage is, I suspect it's above 90%, no longer stand for the truth of the gospel. Sometime back a number of years ago, there was a group of conservative Mennonites wanting to have some sort of colloquy and use facilities at Eastern Mennonite University campus. And as they attempted to use that campus, they discovered they had to ask God to cleanse it of demonic influences to be able to use it. And that's not a joke, folks. There's a tremendous amount of spiritism and all other kind of isms in the general Mennonite church today. I have an extended relative through marriages, and that's saying enough, who was, a, who was an instructor in EMU. So liberal a man that even they put him out of his work. Today he's a universalist. 
who would talk to you, if you wanted to talk about the power of God, he would talk about the powers within. There's one thing I want you to know. It is said of him that he memorized 17 books of the New Testament. We heard about intellectualism and versus possession of, of the gospel, see. We talked about Midwest Fellowship, the shared values, and I just say this: I I appreciate so much what I've heard here, and I would feel like the things that you're facing and battling with to stand for the truth are very similar to what Cumberland Valley is grappling with and trying to deal with. So some of the things I have to say about purposing in my heart are not coming from a critical position, but rather a challenge to our hearts. Um, I think, you know, 40 years of Bible school, and those 40 years are churches that are behind this Bible school and the churches that I'm from. We all have migrated some. We've changed. Some of that change was drift. I think we need, if we're going to uh, stand for the truth, we're going to have to recognize that. Now, there's been some change that's been positive, and one of the changes that I think of have improved our churches in the 40 years was the importance of interpersonal relationships, something that's been talked about a good bit here uh, with the student body at Bible school. Um, recently, I was having a good conversation with a group of young men in our, in our church, probably between the ages of 15 and 19. There was about six of them there I was talking with. And one of the fathers came up and said, I'd like to see a lot of this. That's a good thing when we can do that. But I remember when that father, who's now 40, 41, 42, would have been very difficult to talk with. (laughs) Thank God it changed a little bit over the years. Um, I think we've improved in things like courtship and missions and service. I think we've improved about openness of, about our sins and our failures. I think there's been increased openness and transparency probably has developed in our churches. I, uh, the last time we had council meeting in our church, since I had a fellow bishop there as well, we kind of divided up to save time, and he and some brethren were taking care of men, and I and some other brethren were, were listening to the testimonies of the sisters. and. And uh, thankfully, there was mixed-age groups, and my 15-year-old daughter was in a group that also had some of the minister's wives in. And as they were giving their testimony, some of these sisters were, were breaking down in tears and talking about their struggles with busyness and little children and devotional life and, and just being really honest about those things. And my 15-year-old daughter afterwards said, that was such a powerful Service, And she was not talking so much about the preaching as what she was hearing in the council testimonies. And so I thank God for the progress our churches have experienced. It hasn't been all negative, and I praise God for that. But I think we're going to have to be, if we're going to be honest, we're going to have to admit that we are battling with worldliness. We're battling with this whole entertainment, electronic thing we've been talking about, and some of the old battles from years ago already, materialism. and 
we battle with stagnation sometimes and uh, lukewarmness, empathy, not empathy, amp. Well, just let me go back to lukewarmness. <laughs> God calls us to stand. And I was thinking of some of the calls to a full-hearted, dedicated Christian experience. And you know how it talks about in that well-known passage for conservative Mennonites in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 through to chapter 7 verse 1. It talks about that light and darkness don't mix. Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom doesn't mix and the reason, the motivation for coming out from the world and being separate is so that God can be our Father. And not just a name, He can actually dwell in my heart and sit back in His recliner and smile because He's happy with what's happening in my heart. You know, the Holy Spirit is a person. And inside of us, He has an opinion and an attitude and a feeling right now about how we are. It's not just an influence or a, or a power. He is an individual. And we're like we are because we're creating God's image. So all the, the range of feelings we have, God has. Except regret and repentance and stuff like that. But you know... Well, I guess God does repent, but not in the sense of his evil. But Anyway, so the Holy Spirit wants us to separate from those things who, that offend him. And, and there are things that don't mix. The love of Jesus doesn't mix with personal violence. And so you can't play a game that involves shooting people. Or we can't be reading novels where there's graphic violence and make that compatible with the love of Jesus. A divorced and remarried person is not compatible with singing, It is well with my soul. A divorced and remarried man, he's not compatible with writing a book on how to overcome pornography. And, and they do a good job of it sometimes as far as what's there. But if that's the only thing we can get, it's high time a faithful Anabaptist brother who's always been true to his companion writes a book like that. It's not... A profession of godliness is not compatible with gross indecency and low morals. It's a shame that in the evangelical world that the divorce rate and the addiction to pornography rate is similar to unchurched society. That's a shame on Christianity. But it's, it's not compatible. And you know, talk about these traditions and so forth. I remember of a young man... He was then. He's no longer today. He's more my, closer to my age. But I remember that it was said of him in his youth, he went into the council meeting and he told the minister, ah, I've been looking over this discipline book and he just didn't see the need of that stuff. It just uh, 
seem to be uh, all the things that Brother was Dwight was saying that is the argument of why we should toss all this stuff out. Well, not too long back, in my work as a painter, I was asked by him to do some work in one of his office buildings. And as I was going about my work, I encountered his wife. And I want to tell you, folks, this was a lady who was taught in the same church as I attended, grew up the way, and I, she was a direct temptation to me. I could not look at the woman for the level of indecency. I'm not talking about the sleeve being a little short or a dress being to the knees. I'm talking about gross indecency. So they threw away, and, and, the, and the question was vitally asked here today, you're going to tell me that that drew them closer to Jesus Christ? But if you would talk with them today, they could tell you all about what they're doing for God. I want to ask this. Do we want our children and grandchildren, if we don't go there ourselves, do we want those that follow us to end up there? First Thessalonians 5 says that we're supposed to put everything to the test. Prove all things. Examine all things. Put it in the test tube of, of God's principles and ask yourself, is it good? Does it please God? I thought maybe when Brother Glenn chose first Colossians 1, he was going to come right on a verse that I was looking at in Colossians 1. But verse 10 in Colossians 1 talks about all pleasing, doing things to God, to all pleasing. And that's just such an amazing challenge to my life that... Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I have to back up. I had a brother here challenging me about having any opening at all to uh, Southern gospel music. And, and I accept that because I think anything like that where you so easily come to the fringes and you ask yourself seriously, does this please God? Right now, I'm watching this clip or I'm reading this, or I'm playing this, or I'm in this kind of recreation, or I'm making this purchase. Does this please God? First John 2, verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And, and you know, we had that little glib phrase for years, what would Jesus do? And people almost made an empty cliche out of it sometimes. But it is a valid question. What would Jesus do? Is he happy with this activity, this thing that I am making room for myself? And I repeat, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I want to remind us this morning that men and women of God have always had a purpose in their heart. There's something about the sentence of death to your self-life. I said the other day there's even something about having had to face real death, where you knew that if I do this, I might lose my life. 
There's, there's some value in that. So maybe you ought to travel through Mexico. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I want to tell you something. I've been through Mexico a number of times, and I don't go to that place unless I have to. You might find this amazing, but I've spent a lot of time in Guatemala. When I go through Mexico to Guatemala, when I get to Guatemala border, I feel like I'm coming home. I just got out of the jungle, you know, whatever. But it's because I'm used to Guatemala and I'm not used to Mexico. But those people bother me because they're kind of shady, I think. But uh, now I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not racist against the Mexicans, but I'm scared of their legal system. I go through there again if I need to. But um, it, it does us good sometimes. I, I heard this man and woman one time were talking. They were missionaries in Colombia. And that was back when Colombia was doing all that kidnapping and it was really dangerous there. And I heard them make this comment. It really, I never forgot it. Obviously, I didn't. Um, they said, boy, when you're in Colombia, you're really walking in the spirit. And what they were saying is, you know, you, you, you need to be right with God because you don't know what you're going to face. So that's good for us sometimes. But whether we face bodily harm or not, there needs to come that moment when we attend our own funeral, so to speak. And we decide, even before the depth of temptation hits us, that this I will not do. And this is where I stand. And even Jesus did that. There, there come a moment when I think already in his heart he was recoiling away from the cross. But it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined, if this is my Father's will, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the price, whatever it is. Paul was like that when he was headed to Jerusalem. And I'll tell you, frankly, I don't know to this day whether Paul was just a bit, pardon me, I shouldn't talk so disrespectful. I'll just say stubborn. Or whether... He just had a higher sense of God's will than all the rest of the godly people who were telling him not to go. But one thing for sure, he didn't want to not go just because he was afraid to suffer for Jesus. He didn't want that to be the motivation, so he was determined to go. I thought about the young heir of the Borden Milk Company. I remembered that story uh, he was in college studying to be an executive, but he found Jesus Christ as his Savior while he was there. And so he gave up being the next president of the Board and Milk Company, and, and he felt called to be a missionary overseas instead. And when he, when he uh, decided to be a Christian, he bought himself a notebook, and he wrote a heading in there, uh, No Reservations. He was going to serve God with everything he had. And folks, if that vision we can give to our young people, because we've been talking about a lot of the young people, that if it's worth serving Jesus Christ, then it's only worth it if you do it with all your heart. The halfway stuff is just, it's, it's a way to have a bad Bible school term, right? So do it with all your heart. And this young man did that. He's, he, he put it in writing, no reservations. And then he was called to the mission field and back in those days, you got on a ship instead of a plane. Um, I thought about how, uh, you know, I hear a lot. This is just a little side, but I think I can slip it in quick. Um, you, you hear these stories about why should you go to places like Guatemala or Asia or, or the Far East or South America, why go so far when there's so many unsaved people between here and there? 
Do you know that the history of the apostles, in response to what Jesus told them to do, they traveled over the whole then known world, practically, carrying the gospel, the 12 apostles? And do you know it took them months to make those travels? When today we can go to the furthest reaches of the world many times under 24 hours, and certainly under 48, and we can be there. So I don't know what our excuse is. But anyway, um, back in the Borden days, they still had to get on that ship, and it took weeks, if not months, to get across the sea. And he made another notation, no return. He was given his life to the cause of the gospel in foreign lands. And then once he was over there, he got deathly sick. In fact, he got mortally sick and knew he was going to die. And he made another entry, no regrets. No regrets. People who have purposed in their heart. When I think of the Mennonite church, and I think about in the past and why, why did the people who wrote doctrines of the Bible, I heard the, the title, Introduction to Theology, why did the people, or maybe not them as individuals so much, but the churches they were part of, why did they become, practically speaking, lost people? I'm going to let the final judgment up to God, but many of, of those people are, are not even direct believers in Jesus Christ anymore. How did that happen 75 years ago? And what about our churches today? And I've read an introduction to theology and separated unto God. And, of course, doctrines of the Bible, too, quite a bit, if not all of it. And especially in introductions to theology, I think I can see the seeds of what was taking place. And these men, their plain suits and all of that, but they were beginning to believe that you could be a separated Christian serving Jesus Christ, but part of the world society at the same time. And they felt they could blend professionalism with Christianity. Folks, I think we're beginning to come full circle. And we're beginning to believe when we lack some of the life and vitality that should be coming from the man, the movement, Part of the machinery that we're being tempted to put up is to be professional about things. We'll get professional studies. Oh, I'll share with Brother Tim, don't get a man in who's not a pastor just because he has professional aptitude. Don't do it. Professional counseling, professional preparation... Uh, so much when I see people frustrated in foreign missions, they seem that the answer is let's get professional orientation and professional preparation. Folks, do they know how to pray? Do they know how to sacrifice? Do they know how to love? I'm afraid of professionalism. And I don't, I don't mean doing a good job of studying our Bibles trying to sing a song if we're called upon to do a quartet or something, do as good a job as you can do. But to have professionalism as an end in itself, I want to propose to you something, the purpose in your heart that's higher than that. Instead of being a professional, be a possessor. Purpose in your heart to possess the presence of Almighty God in your life and ministry.
And over the years, I've done a, a fair amount of preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit and the power of the inner life, the dunamis. It's a word that's used in the New Testament about 200 times. I've seen God work with power and circumstances, and, and you all were testifying about seeing it happen here, and it's such a joy. I've seen people, I remember a young lady who was praying in a, in a prayer circle, and halfway through the prayer, the Holy Spirit of God got through to her. She was doing one of those normal-type prayers, you know. Now, this was a staff person, but, uh, but she was young, and, and she was in rebellion. She knew it. I knew it. She was in the staff prayer circle and praying. Well, I say just normal. You know, I'm not making fun of that, but it was just the average type prayer. To about halfway through, and all of a sudden, she just broke down and started to weep and talk about to God about her rebellion and her sinfulness. And it just in one moment, God got through to her. And that was the end of the story as far as the rebellion and all the resistance. It was done. And uh, we praise God that God can do that. And and so I've. I've taught a lot about what the Spirit can do in a person and, and the power of God and what's available in the name of Jesus, but through the years I've learned something else. There's, there's two realities a Christian needs to have. We need to have the inner light and power of God, but we need to have a character and lifestyle that goes with it. And in trying to, for instance, Guatemalan churches, to try to bring them to maturity, it's one thing to teach them how to pray, how to sacrifice extra time and all that, but then it's, a, it's an additional thing to teach them to be honest with the wallet, to be decent in their family life, and yada, yada, you know, the whole list, and develop the character of structured Christian living. And folks, um, in all our dealings with we, we heard so much of it this morning. I'm not going to take time to repeat it all. I just really bless Brother Dwight for what he shared. The changes that have come in fun, entertainment, focus on enjoying life has definitely changed in my lifetime and it hasn't been for good. And I would like us to purpose in our heart that we're going to find a place to stand to strengthen that which remains. I'd just like to have a short prayer here with you as I conclude this message. If you would feel in your heart as a pastor the, the decision after hearing all you've heard in these last 40 hours, the purpose in your heart, you're going to stand for godly Christian living and help to inspire it in the younger generation that's coming. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for this fellowship called Midwest Fellowship. And I pray, oh God, that you will help each of us. Some of us aren't from there, but we're in a similar group of churches, Lord. You would help each of us to purpose in our heart, have the sentence of death in our life, that we will not live just for the joy of self and pleasure and fun but we are going to stand for the principles of the discipleship of Jesus Christ. And we're going to promote that personally and amongst the people with whom we serve. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.